Chapter twenty six of the Expedition of the Donner Party and its Tragic Fate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Donna Stewart, Seattle, Washington. The Expedition of the Donner Party and its Tragic Fate by Eliza P. Donner Houghton. Chapter twenty six thank offerings miss doty's school the bond of kindred in jacket and trousers chum charlie grandma had a fixed price for table board but would not take any pay for medicines nor for attendance on the sick consequently many of her patients after reaching san francisco sent thank offerings of articles useful and pleasing to her Thus also Sister Georgia and I came into possession of pretty calico, Swiss, and Delaine dresses, and shoes that filled our hearts with pride, for they were of Morocco leather, a red and a green pair for each. We had seen finely dressed Spanish children wear such shoes, but never supposed that we should be so favored. After the first dresses were finished, there came a Sunday when I was allowed to go to the Mission Church with Kitty Purcell, the baker's little daughter, and I felt wonderfully fine in my pink calico frock, flecked with a bird's eye of white, a sunbonnet to match, and green shoes. The brilliantly lighted altar decked with flowers, the priests in gorgeous vestments, the acolyte with a swinging censer, and the intoned service in foreign tongue were bewildering to me. My eyes wandered from the clergy to the benches upon which sat the rich and the great, then back to the poor, among whom I was kneeling. Each humble worshipper had spread a bright bordered handkerchief upon the bare floor as a kneeling mat. I observed the striking effect, then, recollecting my shoes, put my hand back and drew up the hem of my dress that my two green beauties might be seen by the children behind me. No seven-year-old child ever enjoyed finery more than I did those little shoes gifts which grandma considered quite unsuitable came one day in two neat wooden boxes about thirty inches in length and eight in width and depth they were addressed to us individually but in grandma's care when she removed the cover and a layer of cotton batting from george's a beautiful french lady doll was revealed exquisitely dressed with a spray of flowers in her hair and another that looped one side of her lovely pink skirt sufficiently high to display an elaborately trimmed petticoat she was so fine in lace and ribbons yes even watch and chain that grandma was loath to let us touch her and insisted she should be handled in the box my gift was a pretty young swiss matron in holiday attire really more picturesque and quite as costly as george's but lacking that daintiness which made the lady doll untouchable i had her to hug and look at only a few moments then both boxes with their precious contents were put away for safe keeping and brought forth only on state occasions for the inspection of special visitors grandma did not want any nonsense put into our heads she wished us to be practical and often quoted maxims to the effect that as the twig is bent the tree is inclined all work is ennobling if well done much book learning for girls is not conducive to happiness or success and the highest aim of a girl should be honesty chastity and industry still she was so pleased when i could write a little with ink and quill that she dictated several letters to jakey who was in the dairy business near stockton 
and in an unguarded moment she agreed that I should attend Miss Doty's school. Then she hesitated. She wished to treat us exactly alike, yet could not spare both at the same time. Finally, as a way out of difficulty, she decided that we should attend school alternate months during the summer, and that my sister, being the elder, should begin the course. It seemed to me that George's month at school would never end. My own sped faster than I wished. Miss Doty helped me with my lessons during part of the noon hour, and encouragingly said, "'Be patient, keep trying, and you will gain your reward.' While still her pupil, I wrote my long-planned letter to Aunt Elizabeth. Georgia helped to compose it, and when finished, we carried it to our friend, the postmaster. He banteringly held it in his hand until we told its contents, and begged that it go to Aunt Elizabeth as soon as possible. He must have seen that it was incorrectly addressed, yet he readily promised that if an answer should come addressed to Miss Georgia Ann Donner or to Miss Eliza Poor Donner, he would carefully save it for us. After many fruitless trips to the post office, we were one day handed a letter for Grandma. It was not from our aunt, however, but from our sister Elitha, and bore the sad news that her husband, while on the range, had been thrown from his horse and lived but a few moments after she reached him. She also stated that her little daughter Elizabeth and her sister Liana were with her on the ranch, and that she was anxious to learn how Georgia and I were getting on. By advice of short-sighted friends, Grandma sent a very formal reply to the letter and told us that she did not want Elitha to write again. Moreover, that we, in gratitude for what she had done for us, should take her name and call her mother. This endeavor to destroy personal identity and family connection met with pathetic opposition. Of our own accord, we had called her Grandma, but Mother, that name was sacred to her who had taught our infant lips to give it utterance. We would bestow it on no other. Under no circumstance was there difficulty in finding someone ready to advise or help to plan our duties. With the best of intentions? Yes, but often, oh, how trying to us poor little waifs of misfortune. One, like a thorn in the flesh, was apportioned to me at the approach of winter 1849 and 1850. We needed more help in the dairy, but could get no one except Mr. Marsh, who lived in bachelor's quarters half a mile south on the creek bank. He drove in the bunch of cows found in the mornings grazing on their homeward way, but was too old to follow after those on the range. Moreover, he did not know how to milk. Grandma, therefore, was obliged to give up going after the cows herself. She hesitated about sending us alone, for of late many stragglers had been seen crossing the valley, and also Indians loitering about. Furthermore, Georgia was again coughing badly. At a loss what to do, she discussed the situation with a neighbor, who, after reflection, asked, "'Why not dress Eliza in boys' clothes and put her on old Charlie?' Grandma threw up her hands at the bare suggestion. It was scandalous, improper. Why, she had even taught me to shun the boys of the village. However, she felt differently later in the day when she called me to her, but in vain was coaxing, in vain was scolding. I refused positively to don boys' clothing. Then she told in strictest confidence that Georgia was very frail, would probably die young, certainly would not reach twenty-five, and I ought not to hesitate at what would make her life easier. 
still if i had no regard for my sister's comfort she would be compelled to send us together afoot after the cows and the exposure might be very bad for georgia this was enough i would wear the hated clothes and my little sister should never learn from me the seriousness of her condition lest it should hasten her death my suit of brown twill red flannel shirt boots and sou'wester with earmuffs attached were ready for me before the heaviest winter storm the jacket and trousers were modelled for a boy of nine instead of a girl not yet eight but grandma assured me that being all wool the rain would soon shrink them to my size also that the boots which were too wide at the heel and hurt my toes would shape themselves to my feet and prevent the old frostbites from returning i was very unhappy while she helped me to dress and pinned up my braids and hid them under my storm hat and i was absolutely wretched when she kissed me and said it would be hard to find a prettier boy than you are again after admonishing me to let no one on the range know i was a girl and to answer all questions civilly and ride on quickly after my string of cows she promised that if i helped her thus through the short days of the rainy season she would give me back my girl clothes in the spring and never again ask me to wear others she led me to where charlie was tied to a tree i stepped on to a block from there to a stump put my foot into the stirrup and clumsily raised myself into the seat of an old dragoon saddle my eyes were too full of tears to see but grandma put the reins in my hand and started me away away where to drive up the cows yes and into wider fields of thought than she wrecked after i got beyond our road i stopped charlie made him turn his face toward mine and told him all that had happened and just how i felt the good old horse seemed to understand for no friend could be more faithful than charlie thenceforth proved to me he learned to separate our cows from the many strange ones on the plain to move faster when it rained to choose the crossings that were safe and to avoid the branches that might scrape me from his back grandma was pleased to learn that drivers on the range when inquiring about strays addressed me as bubby my humiliation however was so great though georgia and i were roommates and had secret day meetings i never went near her when others were by she was allowed to play oftener with neighbors children and occasionally spent a week or more with mrs bergwald helping her to care for her little daughter while away she learned fine needlework had fewer crying spells and was more contented than at home with grandma this happiness in her life added much to mine and it came to pass that the duty which had seemed such a bitter task became a pleasure as the days lengthened chum charlie and i kept earlier hours and crept closer to the heart of nature we read the signs of the day in the dawn tints watched the coyotes and other night prowlers slink back into their lairs saw where the various birds went to housekeeping and how they cared for their young knew them also by their call and song we could show where johnny jump-ups and baby blue eyes grew thickest where the cream cups were largest and where the wild forget-me-nots blossomed we explored each nook and corner for miles around and felt that everything that god had made and man had not put his mark upon was ours the aged boughs heaped by the wind in wild confusion about the maimed and storm-beaten tree-trunks seemed to assume fantastic shapes and expressions as we approached from different directions or viewed them under light and shadow of changing weather gnarled and twisted 
they became elves and goblins and the huge piles of storm wreckage were transformed into weird old ruins and deserted castles like those which grandma had described to me in legends of the rhine at twilight i was often afraid to pass lest giants and ghosts should show themselves between uncanny arches then all that was needed was a low cluck to charlie and off he would start on a run past imaginary dangers it was late in the spring when grandma gave me back my girl clothes and wearily told me she had hired a boy to drive in the cows and a man to help milk and that georgia was to look after the house and i to take her own place in the corrals because she was sick and would have to be cupped and bled before she could be better grandpa came home early next day and everything was ready for the treatment immediately after the noon meal grandma looked so grave and gave so many instructions about household and dairy matters that georgia and i feared we might lose her i verily believe we would have slipped away during the operation had grandpa not commanded us to stay near as he might need assistance in dread we watched every movement saw what made grandma's face pale and where the sore spots were indeed our sympathies were so strained our fingers fumbled awkwardly as we adjusted the covers about her weakened form as soon as her illness became known neighbors came from far and near to help with the dairy work or nursing and keen was their disappointment when she replied i thank you for your kind offers but the children are handy and know my ways regularly she asked me about the cows and if the goats had been milked the eggs gathered and the pigs fed she remembered and planned the work but did not regain strength as rapidly as she wished nor did she resume her place in the corrals even after she was up and around but had a way of coming unexpectedly to see if her instructions were being carried out one day she became quite angry on finding me talking with a stranger he was well dressed and spoke like a gentleman touched his hat as she drew near and remarked this little girl tells me she's an orphan and that you have been very kind to her grandma was uncivil in her reply and he went away then she warned me beware of wolves in sheep's clothing and insisted that no man wearing such fine clothes and having such soft hands could earn an honest living i did not repeat what he had told me of his little daughter who lived in a beautiful home in new york and was about my age and had no sister and his wish that i were with her i could not understand what harm there was in his questions or my answers did i not remind him of his own little girl and had i not heard lonely miners tell of times when they gladly would have walked ten miles to shake hands and talk a few moments with a child end of chapter twenty six recorded by donna stewart seattle washington